Take your Bible to First Peter chapter 3. It's good stuff to be reminded of. And uh, need to be reminded of it regularly. Hope you catch yourself thinking about that. Daily life, it just, uh, the daily grind is easy to, to catch up with you and it kind of gets you in that rut almost, even in your thinking. And uh, I just like how the Lord just catches me right in the middle of whatever's going on in the day and all of a sudden I'm like, this could all end right now. <laughs> I'd be perfectly happy with it ending, quite frankly. Uh, I have no plans that would be interrupted by him returning right now. But that said, we got to do, uh, do what he tells us and be faithful in the meantime. Amen. He said, occupy till I come. So let's occupy for the Lord Jesus Christ and uh, try to be a blessing tonight. In a few moments here, give us uh, something from the word of God, Lord willing. First uh, Peter chapter three, um, verse 15 is a verse I'm sure that's familiar to many. Um, this is in the context of, of persecution and suffering, uh, but it certainly applies to us uh, at any time. And verse 15 of 1 Peter 3 says, Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time together. Thank you for the good singing tonight. And Lord, I pray that uh, as we look into your word for a little bit, that you would bless and encourage and strengthen your people. And Lord, if there would be any in our midst tonight that do not know Christ as their Savior, maybe that this be their day of salvation. We love you. We thank you for this book and for your goodness to us. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Is your faith reasonable maybe just let that question sink in for a moment but i guess you could make that the title uh, of this this evening and the bible says to sanctify god in our hearts and be ready to give an answer to every man that asketh a reason for the hope that is in us and we're to do so with meekness and with fear and i think some people because this verse is typically used when it comes to you know, Christian apologetics or witnessing to others or something, they might think that the fear there is the fear that we have in presenting the gospel to other people. And certainly many people have fear in that regard. I'm just, you know, afraid to talking to people. I don't know what to say. I don't have the answers, whatever it may be. But that's not what the fear here is talking about. It says we're to, we're to be fearful, we're to have the fear of the Lord, fear God. The Bible says the fear of man brings a snare. You're not to be afraid of those that you're witnessing to. We're to be meek. We're to, to consider ourselves. We're to have grace. Our, our speech is to always be with grace, seasoned with salt, the Bible says. But we're to, to witness boldly. We're to give a reason for the hope that we have out of the fear of the Lord, not out of the fear of man, but giving a reason. Uh, sometimes I hear Christians use terms all the time and maybe sometimes we mean different things by them than you know what they exactly should mean or maybe what someone else would mean by it and uh, I just like to be careful about them Uh, one of the things that I've heard before is people say well you can't reason someone into salvation and I kind of cringe when I hear it I hope that they mean something other than exactly what they're saying 
But I think many people that is in their mind, that's the way that it works. And they don't think that reason really plays a part, perhaps, in someone getting saved. Uh, Another one that's similar to it that I hear pretty often is someone says, well, you can't just use your human reasoning. Maybe you've heard that phrase before. Maybe you've used that phrase before. Now, my reply anytime I hear that with someone is, well, what kind of reasoning am I supposed to be using then? Because I don't know about you, but human reasoning is the only reasoning I have. Uh, Webster in 1828, defines reason in its various forms as, one, the cause, ground, principle, or motive of a thing that is said or done, which supports or justifies it, uh, the efficient cause of something. Three, the faculty of the mind by which it distinguishes truth from falsehood and good from evil, which enables the possessor to deduce inferences from facts or propositions. That's an excellent definition. Don't you need something that the mind that God's given you, the faculty that he's given you to deduce, to determine the difference between fact and fiction? I think that's pretty important. I hope you do as well. But that's what reasoning is. His last definition is that reason is the director of man's will. Now, that may be a little harder to get your mind around at first, but uh, there's a saying that I like, and that is that the heart will not embrace what the mind rejects. The heart will not embrace what the mind rejects. Uh, Mark Twain, who was not a Christian, by the way, although he was a pretty interesting writer, and he sort of summed up a lot of his time and and different things uh, in a witty way. But he said one time that faith is just believing what you know ain't so. Now, some people, that might sound right to you. (laughs) I don't know. No, believing what you know ain't so is what we call foolishness. If if you believe something even though you know it's wrong, you're crazy. And the reason I say the heart won't embrace what the mind rejects is that you shouldn't really be able to believe something that you know isn't true. That's not what faith is. It's not reasonable. God gave you a mind, and whether how, regardless of how far you've dug into some of this, that should resonate right off the top of your head. I could probably bang my head and all night long trying to convince you that two plus two is five. You might verbally tell me you agree with that, but you know full well in your heart you are not going to be able to reconcile the fact that two plus two does not equal five. You can't embrace something that your mind knows fully well is not true. Uh, In Daniel chapter 4, we read about King Nebuchadnezzar, and he has this dream of this giant tree, and the fruit is feeding the the whole world. And uh, then Daniel interprets this dream that it's going to be cut down and so forth. And this is that story where Nebuchadnezzar is, is made into a beast, He lives out in the field, and and the dew is on his back. And one of the things that the Bible says in uh, Daniel 4 and verse 36 is, as he's recounting this story of what happened to him, when that period of time ends, he says, and at that same time, my reason returned to me. That's one of the main things he says that changed when he went from being a beast at some point and then coming back into his full faculties, he says, my reason returned to me. That's something that God has put into mankind, into human beings that animals don't possess. It's part of what makes us human. 
Go over to Genesis 41 real quick. Genesis 41, reason, reason. In Genesis 41, uh, I'm going to point out this verse just because uh, the word reason in its various forms is found 88 times in the Bible, and it's, it's sprinkled out throughout it pretty evenly. Uh, it's very well uh, represented in Scripture. And this is the first time the word shows up, and this verse may seem uh, unimportant or unrelated in some way, but in Genesis 41 and verse 31, the Bible says, The plenty, and this is talking about the, the famine in Joseph's dream, the plenty shall not be known in the land by reason of the famine following. So just pointing out, this is the first use of the word. And frankly, this is a good representation of how the word for the most part is used throughout the Bible. The reason this is happening is because of this thing, right? There isn't going to be plenty in the land by reason of a famine. That's reasonable, right? It's reasonable that there isn't plenty because we're in a famine, okay? reason in the scripture. It's really not as maybe odd or metaphysical as some people sometimes want to make reason out to be. Job in Job 13 verse 3 said, surely I would speak to the almighty and I desire to reason with God. Now that's a tall order in my book. I don't know how your mind works as you kind of try to understand what these Bible stories might have looked like. But at first, and if you know much of the story of Job and how it sort of builds to this crescendo toward the end, I imagine someone who's kind of like fed up with how things are being handled. It's like, I want to talk to the manager around here. I want some answers. I want to reason with somebody. Right? I mean, Job's a godly man. He's a, he's a wise man. And he's been going back and forth through all these conversations with his friends. He said, look, I want to hear from God. I want to reason with God. I want to know why all this stuff is happening. Now, if you know the end of the story, God comes on the scene. He doesn't chasten Job for wanting reasons, but let's just say that the discussion between God and Job is not a debate class. It's Job, it's his time to listen. And God lays some things out, and at the end, though the Bible doesn't state it exactly like this, Job says, I see the reason now. It's very clear, right? I heard of you by the hearing of the ear, he said, and now my eye seeth thee. I don't think he meant just his physical eyes. He meant, okay, my heart and mind are now settled. I asked for reason, and I got more than I bargained for, frankly. Proverbs 26, 16, the sluggard is wiser in his own conceit than seven men that can render a reason. You know how some people get that? Conceited. It's like, mind is shut off. It doesn't matter how reasonable you can be with them. They've already determined. It's the old, my mind's made up. Don't confuse me with the facts. Solomon said in Ecclesiastes 7, I applied my heart to know, to search, and to seek out the reason of things. He says, I want to know. And he says, I applied my heart to know the reason of things. See, reasoning takes some work. Oftentimes, we live a very, I call visceral life. You know, it's just kind of gut feel through a lot of things. And unfortunately, I think too much Christianity is, you know, sort of felt and not thought through very often. 
praise God for feelings. I'm not against them one iota. God gave them to us. But living by feelings can be dangerous. God is reasonable. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18, we read, Come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord. God made us. He knows that we have the capacity to reason because he gave it to us. He knows we want reasons for things. You know, when you raise little kids, you say, hey, why do I have to do this? Because I said so, right? And that, that should be good enough, especially as they're little. It's one of the reasons in the military uh, you train, do all this marching. You might think, well, what is the purpose of all this marching, aside from parades? But part of it is to drill into someone that as I issue commands, you obey them, right? You're building muscle memory. I say you do. I say you do. I say you do. Because eventually, you doing what I tell you right when I tell you might just save your life or others around you. And children should be taught that way. But as we all know, children are people. And none of us are perfect. And as they grow, they start to want reasons for why you tell them to do things, don't they? It's terrible. It's terrible. Yeah. Get some amens right there. But no. It's, I say we joke about it. We're just like, these are like little people. It's ridiculous. Yeah, children are people. Souls just like us. Souls with reason. And they don't forever just want because I told you so. And God designed us that way. And he says, let's be reasonable. Your sins are going to drag you to hell, but I've paid the debt in your place. Receive my son and I'll take your sin away. That seems like a pretty reasonable deal to me. God is reasonable. Go over to Matthew 21 real quick. Matthew 21. Jesus used reason and utilized (laughs) argumentation sometimes in his ministry. Matthew chapter 21. Look at the verse 24. Jesus answered and said unto them, I also will ask you one thing, which if ye tell me, I will likewise tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John once was it from heaven or of men. Now here's Jesus laying out this this story here. And the Pharisees, it says, and they reasoned with themselves, saying, if we shall say from heaven, he will say unto us, why did ye not believe him? But if we shall say of men, we fear the people, for all hold John as a prophet. Jesus is setting them up, so to speak. He's, he's presenting a logical argument to them, and they're utilizing their reason. And frankly, they do a good job. They come to a reasonable answer. Now, they should have thought about this completely different, considering who they're talking to. But they are using reason. Jesus doesn't denounce them for that. They, they come to a very sound conclusion. Now, of course, they, they kind of back out at the end and really don't go as far as they should. But it's not because he told them, well, don't use reason. Just feel what I'm trying to tell you. That's not how it worked. Uh, Paul used reason many a time. In fact, you might jump over to Acts 17. Uh, in part, Paul used it. He told uh, 
Titus and in Titus chapter one, because there's false teachers out there and their mouths need to be stopped. Well, bad teaching has to be combated. False teaching has to be confronted. We need to protect the truth, not in the sense that the truth needs to be put in a vault somewhere. Uh, you know, God said heaven and earth are going to pass away, but his, his word's going to abide forever. There's no jeopardy about the truth not persisting, but it's the truth as it exists in the hearts of people that needs to be fought for. Look at Paul in, in, uh, here's here in Thessalonica in Acts chapter 17, verse 2, and it says, And Paul, as his manner was, went unto them, And three Sabbath days reasoned with them out of the scriptures. Why did he do that? He can't reason anybody to God. Why didn't he just, you know, leave some gospel tracts on the pews and head on out of town? They probably weren't going to treat him right anyway. As his manner was, apparently this is what he did normally. Three weeks in a row on the Sabbath, he went in and reasoned with the people. Really? Really? Go over to chapter 18. Chapter 18. Here, uh, I think he's in Athens. Chapter 18 and verse 4. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded the Jews and the Greeks. Well, you can't persuade anybody by reasoning with them. Well, I think Paul would take difference with that statement. (laughs) I know that's what the scripture says. The Bible says Paul reasoned with people. That was his, his custom, his normal mode of operation is that he went into Sabbath and reasoned with, on the Sabbath and reasoned with people in the synagogues and he persuaded them. And the Bible tells us some of them believed. Look at verse 19, that same chapter. And he came to Ephesus and left them there, but he himself entered into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. Here he is again. It seems like Paul did it pretty regularly, in fact. Reason is not something to be avoided. It's what helps separate fact from fiction. It is a tool that God uses or gives us to help sort out reality, to stay avoid error. We've already seen from 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 15 that we are to use reason. When people ask you, how do you know you're saved? I mean, obviously you point them to the scripture. But the Bible says, be ready with a reason. Why do you have hope? Well, I just feel like I do. Well, all kinds of people feel all kinds of things. That's probably not going to be that persuasive. It's not going to be persuasive with a lot of people. I can tell you that much. Give me a reason. A reason. Mark 12, 30. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. We're told to love God mindfully. Mindfully. Revelation, observation, reflection on what God's told us. It's not sentimentality. This is truth demonstrable truth. And I'm not trying to set up some scenario where faith is no longer required. Of course, the Christian life is a life of faith, but it is a reasonable faith 
not some weird leap in the dark, touchy feely sort of thing. If that's all you're standing on, then what makes it any different than anything anyone else believes? Faith is reasonable. And we were just kind of talking about the fact the Lord's returning someday. I believe that by faith. By faith. But let me ask you this. Imagine a scenario, uh, a poor family. They're living out their lives consistently. They, they attend church faithfully. Maybe dad works a couple jobs. They don't have much, but they get by. You know, mom has to stretch out the soup now and then, but they've never really gone hungry, but they certainly don't know anything of what we would call fancy meals. Got one jalopy of a vehicle, but they keep it running. Kids have got their education. They've got a roof over their house. Just Life just kind of steadily goes along. One day, Dad comes home from work. At the dinner table, he says to his wife, he says, kids, next week, we're going on a vacation. And they're like, well, never heard anything like this before. He, he must mean, like, he's going to take us into town. Maybe we're all going to go to the ice cream parlor. I mean, that would be a vacation for us, right? He says, no. He says, no, we're, we're going to go someplace tropical. We're going to fly in an airplane. We're going to stay in a nice hotel. And during the day, we're going to go out on the beach, play in the ocean, we're going to eat out every night. And they're just like, I mean, their jaws are dropped. They, they can't believe what they're hearing. And that night, they go to bed, and they can't sleep. I mean, little boy and girl, they're up all night whispering to each other after they're supposed to be asleep, you know. It's like, can you believe this? I can't believe this. Now, reason from experience might dictate our dad cannot afford no vacation. This is some kind of a joke, whatever the case may be. But the reason they can't sleep, the reason there's this expectation is because one thing they know, aside from the fact that they're not particularly rich, is that the word of their dad has always been faithful. He may not have provided much, but everything he's ever said he was going to do, they've never wanted, they've never starved. And somehow in their mind, it just resonates that if dad told us we're taking a vacation, I can't help but be excited because I think he's going to do it. Now, God's never raptured me off this planet, even though I've been thinking about it for as long as I've been a Christian. But you see, my heavenly father has proven himself so faithful through this word for so long that I cannot help in my heart but just be excited about the fact that I know he's going to pull it off. See, my faith, though it is absolutely faith, is reasonable faith because it is grounded in the character of my Heavenly Father. I don't have to have experienced every promise he's given me to know that his promises are good. His word to us is true. Reason is not antithetical to faith. It's not believing something that you know is not so. That's absurd. And if you don't know Christ as your Savior, then God's word to you is, be reasonable and come to me. 
you can't deal with that sin, but I can. And yet how many people, unreasonable as it is, reject it? Turn from it. Leave it on the table, whatever, whatever you will. Reason is a tool. Reason is a faculty that God has given us. Sometimes I think in our witnessing, and I'll kind of close with this, we get focused on what I would call the closing the deal part of, of witnessing. I mean, we all love to see fruit. I mean, any Christian wants to be the one that gets to lead the other person to Christ, and hopefully we all do at some point. But that's sort of the, the final uh, limelight of the project. That's the harvesting. That's, that's the reaping in the fruit that everybody gets to enjoy. But one thing I've noticed about farming, even though I'm not a farmer myself, nor do I play one on TV, but more work goes into preparing to pluck fruit than the plucking of the fruit. Ground has to be toiled over, has to be worked and prepared. Sometimes it's not just that a person is a blank slate. I mean, would to God you were working with a blank slate. Usually it's layer upon layer of the scar tissue of sin and false doctrine and Hollywood and all the junk that's been laden on this person. And sometimes that stuff's got to be cut away. It's got to be hacked. It's got to be worked over. It's got to be reasoned through. It takes work. It takes work. The Bible uses a lot of idioms for the Christian life. You know, we're, we're soldiers. That's probably one that we talk about a lot and absolutely true, absolutely scriptural. Uh, we're fishermen, right? These are all idioms that the Bible uses. It also uses the idiom of an ambassador. We are ambassadors for Christ. It's not always necessarily that you're drawing the sword as a soldier. Sometimes it takes some diplomacy. It, it takes some time. And we have to be ready. We have to be ready to work. I, one of the first uh, men pastors in my life when I got saved at, at Trinity in Jacksonville, who basically taught me how to do soul winning, he took me out and he said, Brad, just, you know, after we've done all these, and I'm like, I don't, this doesn't really seem to be accomplishing anything. And he gave me essentially this same idea, but he framed it like this. He said, imagine that you're an attorney building a case. He says, you don't win it at just one fell swoop. You don't know who the, what the, per, the state of the person that you just talked to and witnessed to is. Some plant, some water. God's the one that takes care of the increase. He said, sometimes you might be there to pluck the fruit. Sometimes that work has already been done and you're coming along behind. And sometimes you're just getting the word out as the door gets slammed in your face. Now, funny story is the very first person that I ever led to Christ and then got to teach how to go soul winning, if you will, was my platoon sergeant in the Marine Corps. And so, you know, I thought I'd sound real spiritual since I was taught all this stuff by uh, Pastor Leninger. And so I said, now, Sergeant Humphrey, just keep in mind that as we go out door knocking, most of these people are going to regret, re reject the gospel, but we're just here to like be an attorney and start building the case. Wouldn't you know it? Isn't it just like the Lord? The very first door he and I ever knocked on, this lady answered and she just like, we gave her the gospel. She's crying. 
We <laughs> led her in prayer. She got saved. She was so happy in the whole thing. And we walked down the driveway. I can picture it to this day walking down her driveway. And he looked at me. I looked over him. And I just like said, not a word. Don't even say a word to me. <laughs> I just felt ridiculous. Like, okay, Lord, uh, you know, I, sh- I should know better. <laughs> Christian, you have a reason for the hope that is in you. The world needs that reason. Sometimes you're just there to, to pick the fruit. But sometimes there's work that needs to be done in that heart. But God wants us ready with a reason. I, I want to encourage you to not feel like, well, we shouldn't use reason. Well, it's just I just got to throw out a gospel track, hope something happens, keep my fingers crossed. That's not how Christianity works. Let's be reasonable people. God made us that. And don't fear the person you're talking to. They're a reasonable human being as well. And just like those two kids laying in bed that have faith because they know their father's going to pull it off, trust the God that gave you his word in your own life, in the life of your family. Let it spill into the life of our church, and let's take it to a lost and a dying world that needs it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this book. Lord, thank you for allowing us a new Hope is built on the person of Jesus Christ that is far more reasonable than anything this world has to offer. Lord, I pray more than anything tonight that you would encourage the hearts of your people. Give them strength in these times, Lord. Help them cut through the confusion. Lord, put iron in their blood. Give them backbone. Give them comfort against whatever it is that life is throwing their way that's discouraging them, Lord, or causing them to doubt. And Lord, might we take it to a world that needs it so desperately. Lord, we look forward to your soon coming. We love you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.